And I just want to reiterate what's already been said a couple times this morning from the pulpit. Merry Christmas from our family to yours. I hope you've had a chance to celebrate already this morning the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When I was thinking about what I was going to preach about this morning, I thought on Christmas Day, of all things, what else could I preach on but the Christmas story? The birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're all very familiar with the Christmas story, and I'm sure many of you read the Christmas story to yourself today or to your family. The Christmas story is a wonderful story, but the Christmas season evokes different attitudes and feelings and emotions in different people. Some people hate Christmas. Some people love Christmas. But Christmas is a time of year when many are overly stressed and some even experience depression. One North American survey reported that 45% of its respondents dreaded the Christmas season. For some, it creates a feeling of exhaustion. They're glad when it's over. No more buying gifts, no more attending parties, no more making food. For others, it's a time of relaxation, no work to do. They can just sleep in, kick back. For others, it's a celebration. It's a a season of joy and peace and hope. But what about you? How do you feel this morning? How do you feel about Christmas? What's your attitude? What emotions are you feeling? As Christians, what should our attitude be? Is it really the most wonderful time of the year? Before I get into my sermon, let's just read, uh, continuing from where Tyler left off, starting at verse 8, Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, if you want to follow along with me. Chapter, uh, verses 1 to 7 cover the actual birth of Jesus, but my sermon this morning would be from verses 8 to 20. So starting in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. 
So today, I want to look at the various responses to the good news that we see in this passage. Now, I only have been given 15 minutes, so it's going to be quick. And I'll try and keep it to the 15 minutes. But let's first review what the good news is. In verse 1 to 7, that Tyler read for us this morning, Dr. Luke describes the greatest, most miraculous event in history, which is then summarized by an angel. In verse 11, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There you have the good news in a nutshell. God has been silent for over 400 years. He has sent no prophets, no angels, and now he breaks that silence with this good news. Now the Jews had been looking for a Savior, and some were looking for a political leader who, to save them from Roman rule. Others were looking for someone to save them from sickness and physical hardship. And now this angel makes this announcement and tells them that their Savior has arrived. What they probably fully didn't comprehend was that this Savior was sent to to save and redeem them from sin and death. Now notice that the angels not only call him the promised Savior, but they also call him Christ the Lord. Now the Hebrew counterpart for Christ is Messiah, and both words mean anointed one. So Jesus is God's anointed and appointed prophet, priest, and king. And he is Lord, so he'll be in a position of authority and leadership. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. Jesus came down to earth in the form of a man as a baby while still being God. The Son of God became one of us that we might become one with him. He did this by taking on our flesh, facing our sins, feeling our pain, and then finally bearing our cross. He lived a perfect life and then died on a cross, not for his sin, but for our sin, in order that we might have forgiveness for sin and eternal life. You could say that Jesus was born in a cradle to die on a cross. Now that's a brief summary of the good news. Now, along with this announcement of good news, the angels tell us what kind of good news it is. And this is where I want to start looking at the five responses that we see in this passage, specifically in verses 8 to 20, in regard to the good news. We often miss these when we read this story because we're focused specifically on the good news. So look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So the first response we see from the good news is fear. Now I realize the shepherd's fear was likely due to the presence of an angel and the glory of the Lord shining around them. But fear is also many people's response to Christmas, to God, to church, or anything to do with Jesus or Christianity. They run from it. They want nothing to do with it. But what does the angel say? Verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So we are not to be afraid, but instead, it says that the good news should give us great joy. It's sad, isn't it, that some people are so averse to or fearful of talking about their faith or talking about God or talking about Jesus or even talking about religion that they miss out on the good news of great joy. They avoid Christians. They avoid the church and thereby they never get to hear the good news of the gospel, simply because they are afraid. Let's look at the next response 
Again, verse 10 says, For unto you is born, sorry, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the second response we see is joy. Now, what is joy? Well, joy is not happiness. Please don't call joy happiness. I believe that the Bible was written for everyone and is applicable to everyone. Amen? It was written for those of us who live in North America and who have everything. And it was also written for those who live in countries where they have nothing and where they may even be undergoing severe persecution or worse. So when the Bible speaks of joy and says good news of great joy, it is not referring to happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. Joy is not. We can be sad and still have joy. Sadness, like happiness, is simply circumstantial. So then what is joy? Well, the angels say great joy. Well, joy is the deep-down sense or attitude of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows that all is well between himself and the Lord. It is not an experience that depends on favorable circumstances. It is not a human emotion that is divinely stimulated. Joy can actually be sometimes greatest when circumstances are most severe or painful. Joy is God's gift to us as believers. Joy is the inevitable overflow of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior and knowing his continuing presence. Peter describes joy as inexpressible and full of glory. Joy is the settled certainty that God is in control. Let's continue. In verse 11, the angels give us the good news that we talked about already. And then in verse 12, it says, And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So the angels give the shepherds a sign that they can use to find their Savior. And then in verse 13 and 14, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here we have the next response to, to the good news. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So peace, what's peace? Is peace simply the absence of conflict? Well, the nation of Israel had been enjoying the, the Pax Romana or the, the Roman peace for the past 27 years. But this was simply an absence of war. They were still under Roman rule. So is this peace referring to peace with men or peace with God or both? Or is it, is it peace for everyone? Well, the answer to that question is in this verse. It says, with whom he is pleased. So it is peace only for those that he has called, his elect. It's referring here to peace with God. But if we have peace with God, it should spill over in our lives to peace with men. Romans 12:18 says that as much as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with everyone. But specifically here, it's referring to peace with God. So if joy speaks of the exhilaration of heart that comes from being right with God, then peace refers to the tranquility of mind that comes from that saving relationship. It means having it all together. Everything is in place and as it ought to be. Peace also has no relationship to circumstance. One commentator said that there's absolutely no reason for a believer to be anxious or afraid. Now, to illustrate peace, 
there's a story told of a king who commissioned his artist to paint the perfect picture of peace. Many artists tried, and the king looked at all the pictures. But there's only two he really liked, and he had to choose between them. One picture was of a calm lake, and all around it were peaceful, towering mountains. And overhead was a blue sky with fluffy white clouds. All who saw this picture thought this was the perfect picture of peace. But the other picture had mountains too. But these were rugged and bare, and above the mountains was an angry sky from which rain fell and which lightning flashed. And down the side of these mountains tumbled a roaring waterfall. It didn't look very peaceful at all, but when the king looked carefully, he saw behind the waterfall a tiny bush growing in a crack in the rock. In the bush, a mother bird had built her nest, and there, in the midst of the rush of angry water and the flashing lightning, sat the mother bird on her nest in perfect peace. Which picture do you think won the prize? Do you know why? Because, the king explained, peace does not mean to be in a place where there is no noise, no trouble, no hard work. Peace means to be in the midst of all these things and still be calm in your heart and mind. That is the real meaning of peace. Now I just want to point out, and you've probably already noticed, that joy and peace are also in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. When you become a believer, the fruit of the Spirit is always produced completely in you, no matter how faintly evidenced its various manifestations may be. The Spirit never fails to produce some fruit in a believer's life, but it is always possible for the believer to bear and manifest more fruit. All nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit are commanded of us as believers. But how do we manifest more fruit? I'm going to talk about that shortly. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 15 to 17. In verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So the shepherds went, using the sign that the angels had given them, and found the baby Jesus. And then they told people concerning what they had found. And all who heard it, in verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So here we have, in verse 18, the fourth response. And all who heard it wondered. Now this is another response we sometimes see in people. They wonder or are amazed or impressed by things that are said or happen. For example, they're amazed at what happens in church, an amazing sermon, amazing music, amazing testimony. But then afterward, they go on with their lives and nothing changes. They simply say, wow, that was a really good service. But there's no change in their heart, in their mind, or their life. And so it is with the world. Many have heard the good news, and they wonder, or are impressed, or are amazed, but it changes nothing. Now let's look at verse 19. Now verse 19 starts with a but. Anytime you have a but in Scripture, 
you need to compare what it says after the word but with what it says before the word but. So we've just heard that the people wondered or were impressed or amazed, but they probably weren't changed by what they were told. But what did Mary do? Well, verse 19 says, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I think we have here one of the keys to experiencing joy and peace in our lives. Mary reflected deeply on the significance of the birth of God's Son, her Savior, and our Savior, and what that birth meant to her and to the whole world. She considered God's purpose and how just as he had promised, he'd sent a Savior to redeem his people. The word isn't used here, but if we treasure the good news in our heart and ponder the good news as Mary did, what do you think would happen? We wouldn't be just impressed or amazed, but we probably would be changed. It would give us hope, and our joy and our peace would also grow and become stronger and deeper. And I think we would do as the shepherds do in verse 20. We would glorify God and praise God. I think that is what Mary is doing here. Today we have been given the complete scriptures to treasure and to ponder in our hearts. Romans 15 verse 4 says that the scriptures were written to give us hope, but we must read them and meditate on them. So to close, what is your response to the good news this Christmas morning? What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's your attitude? Are you expressing the fruit of the Spirit more and more? Do you possess that great joy that the angels spoke of? Do you have the peace that the angels spoke of? I don't know what's going on in your life, whether everything is good or whether there is tension in your marriage or your relationship with your children or if there's sickness involving you or a loved one or whether you've lost your job or you're short on finances or whatever difficulty you are facing. But this Christmas, let's reflect Consider, ponder, and treasure the significance of the birth of Jesus and of all God's promises. If we do, God's word says that our joy and our peace and our hope will increase in spite of our circumstances. We know that because all is well between us and God, that all will work together for good because we've been called according to his purpose. If there's anyone here who does not have that joy and that peace and hope, I would invite you to speak to someone you know who does. Children, youth, if you'd like to know that joy and peace and hope, I suggest you talk to your parents. But everyone, don't let this Christmas pass without making the one whose birth we celebrate your Lord and Savior. Let's pray.